0: One of the big challenge that CEOs have across all industries, not just insurance, is they don't really understand, and this is not a criticism, it's just a fact of life, you know, what their CIOs and CTOs are telling them. So they don't necessarily know what the right decision is is to make, and they can therefore they're very scared of getting you know, going down that route of an irreversible decision and making the wrong choice. Welcome to the Voice of
1: Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. The voice you just heard was Matthew Grant of Instec London. I caught up with Matthew and fellow instec London founder, Robin Mertens, earlier in the month. Matthew and Robin are decades-long veterans of what we now call InsurTech. Matthew helped pioneer catastrophe modelling and worked for 20 years at RMS, and Robin is best known for his time at RI3K, the pioneering electronic insurance platform whose technology survives today in the heart of the London markets, PPL, electronic-placing platform. The pair have spent careers bridging the often sizable gap between insurance and technology. Back in 2015, they founded Interstate London, which hosts a regular monthly get-together for entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, service providers and people working in the incumbent insurance industry. The organisation has blossomed and now produces podcasts and newsletters as well as the events themselves. I always go to the events whenever I'm free um, because of the best possible way of finding out what is happening with tech and its relationship with insurance and it's also a really good way of me working out what I should be doing about all of that. In this episode we have a wide-ranging discussion that includes a debate about the difference between merely digitising and going fully digital as well as an examination of insurance's often really difficult relationship with technological change. Now, a couple of explainers before we get going. To non Londoners, um, you need to know that Addison Lee is a taxi company that around the turn of the millennium uh, embraced technology. It was one of the first to do so. It embraced technology and sat nav and was able to give pretty accurate arrival times for taxis, as well as the first time we'd had binding fixed pricing, and that was when you called them up on the phone. Um, Also, if you don't already know what um, IoT is, um, it's the Internet of Things. which means uh, the brave new world of billions of internet-connected devices and sensors everywhere that is going to transform almost everything, and and not least the world of risk. Um, We also mentioned uh, some specific uh, startup companies that you might not know the name of. So uh, those are Concerus, Exante, Riskbook, and Blink. I I will make sure we put links uh, to their sites in the podcast notes that accompany this podcast. So enjoy the podcast. Uh, I started off by asking Robin Mertens to introduce himself to our listeners. Uh,
2: thank you. Thanks, Mark, um, uh, for those kind words about Intertech London. I'm, uh, as you say, co founder uh, of Intertech London. Uh, my background is partly in insurance broking. Uh, then I did my own dot com startup. And then from 2015, Intertech London has become um, increasingly a full time job.
1: Is it, um, so it's a, you're in the fifth year. When would be the fifth anniversary?
2: Um, April
1: next year. So wait a minute, is that four years?
2: Four and a bit, yeah, nearly five.
1: (laughs) So it's nearly five. So April this now, April 2020? Yeah, exactly right. Okay, Okay. so it is five years, yeah, right, okay.
0: Yeah, like all uh, great startup companies, these companies have been sort of running for quite some time before you actually start to really get to know them, but certainly what we've been doing and the exposure globally has really taken off. So my background, I spent uh, over 25 years in around catastrophe modeling so really one of the earliest examples of insurance using data and analytics to really make a difference you know and importantly helping insurance companies understand their exposure and be more effective about how they was that the all, was that all at rms uh no it wasn't all at rms actually there was a company called eqe before that that then ended up being absorbed by a core logic
1: oh so yeah it was that what was it was it called equicap for a while or we used to call it equicap
0: yeah, again, like all, an interesting uh, measure of a company, how many times it changes its name. So I think it went through about five different devolutions of the name before it finally settled under the ecologic umbrella. So,
1: I mean, the main thing is that both of you have spent your whole careers um, interacting between technology and the insurance market. Um, you know, Robin, you spent a lot of that. You know, I first knew you at RA3K, uh, risks for the third millennium, of which I suppose the kernel of some of that uh, technology is now residing still in... Um, in PPL, the London Market Electronic uh, Placing Platform. Um, You've been quite vocal, Robin. Something that really got my attention recently was an article that you posted on LinkedIn uh, about the difference, a subtle difference, between digitizing and and going fully digital. And I'd really like you to explain some of that, and now that we're in an audible format, um, for for anyone who hasn't read that yet, go through some of that, because I think it really encompasses a lot, uh, the fundamentals of what InsureTech is all about.
2: No, uh, By all means. Um, This is a sort of pet theme of mine at the moment. Uh, I got very excited when InsurTech started up because I thought it was uh, a sign that true disruption was on the horizon. Uh, And then five years in, uh, I can see that there have been some successful InsurTechs, but I don't see that converting into any level of genuine disruption in the insurance industry. And my... The thought process here is that um, it's because the industry is only interested in digitising what it has rather than moving to a true digital model. So it's taking small parts of the value chain uh, either going to big tech companies and asking for solutions or going to insurtechs techs who have built something relevant and engaging with them and making small small improvements. Um, uh I used in my article the example of uh, taxis cabs um, where uh, the old model that many of your listeners will remember is to stand in the street and hail a black cab and and wait a long time and at some point at the end of the journey you had no idea how much it was going to cost. Someone would hand you a paper invoice and you would hand over the cash and that was the transaction. Uh, That seems to me, you know, the old Lloyd's model, uh, you know, then the digitised version of that is uh, uh, Addison Lee. You know, the possibility of ordering online or by telephone, of getting a fixed price, possibly getting an email invoice at the end. So, and and then they probably had sat-nav to help them navigate. You know, so they're little bits of digital
1: kit so they were in using, there. using uh, they were quite predictive as well. They would, pre- they would be fairly accurate about when the cab was actually going to arrive uh, uh, to pick you up uh, and then they'd be very accurate on the pricing. The price was fixed, wasn't it? So it was a big improvement on what was going on before. You
2: know, really similar to what's going on. I mean, so, so the, the bits weren't joined up. Your, your, your payment piece wasn't joined up to your sat nav, which wasn't joined up to your pricing capability. But they were all digital in their way. Um, and then we've, because we we've soon got used to it, the true digital model is uh, Uber. I mean, we all kind of get out of the cabs. You, the, we don't do anything. The driver presses a button, and we get an invoice, and we have been we pay. And, you know, the user experience is extraordinary at the front end. We know at any given moment in t- time where the whole cab is. And and to do that, you have to replatform. I mean, you have to completely rethink the way you provide that service from a technology point of view. And my frustration, you know, which, which is uh, the, the subject matter of that article is, there's a limited period of time that you can uh, then go on and on digitising pieces Uh, and at some point I think you have to look at uh, when do we really grasp the nettle which is a proper digital model and I think it's not quite as far away as uh, everybody thinks because I think there are big opportunities that come from it, and I'm imploring the industry to start thinking about it.
1: There's got to be positive about it. I suppose So what you're saying is, you know, whilst all of us in the London market or in, in the global sort of syndicated specialty and um, reinsurance markets that uh, you know that that I I've been covering for most of my career, um, they would dearly love just to have faster horses. Uh, in the, using the sort of Henry Ford analogy, but there's a, just a time when you just need to hop into to learn how to drive a proper car. Uh, otherwise you're going to be left behind is that is that that, that what you say
2: uh, i look there might be a few more years left in it uh, the industry is safe right now because while none of your competitors grasp that nettle then you don't have to grasp the nettle and and i but i think that there has been short techs that are now very close they only need risk capital to become a full end-to-end properly thought out digital model i think there are com- companies in the on the continent who have built them that look like, pretty sophisticated to me. Um, But I mean, Matthew makes a very good point around this, which is, uh, if you haven't got the right technology, then many of the models of the future, uh, the classes that you need to ensure, the way in which you need to ensure them, the dynamic nature of the data that you interact with, are not open to you. I mean, you've been making this point for some time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things there. I think one, just coming back to this point about the technology change, yeah, I think the part of the problem with the term tech is a lot of people look at it and think about it being a couple of people doing some startup coming in to disrupt the industry and actually don't really understand that the technological change is more than just that narrow focus on it. And it's not enough just to look at you know, some of the organizations out there that are trying to do some things differently and say, well, they're not really relevant. But I think back to this point about data, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah, as everyone in insurance industry is aware that the search for new premium and new revenue is is always much more exciting than another way to assess a risk that's already in there and the big challenge of course then is well how do you have the confidence to write these new emerging risks, these intangible risks like cyber or IP or supply chain or reputation that it's really hard to to, to, to sort of really understand and I think there's a, it's a double-edged sword here because on the one hand Access to data is great, uh, but until people can get access to that data, it doesn't mean they should give up underwriting altogether. And I think there's a risk sometimes of regulation that it goes too far and actually demands demands the data and actually then constrains people from underwriting. And we're seeing a bit of that with, with crypto, uh, You know, potential to, to ensure crypto wallets and crypto assets is really big, but it's being limited by regulators saying that you know, how much people can write is constrained by their capacity. But I think part of the technological change we are going to see coming in and definitely will make a difference is access to things like sensors and telematics, and IoT coming in from buildings and, uh, and related to cyber and related to mach- machinery and really other ways of just looking at what will be a much more dynamic view of risk and underwriting.
1: So you're going to we'll be talking about everything much more uh, dynamic pricing that sort of thing, the sort of thing like in in cyber, uh, perhaps uh, uh, you know where everything's going to be changing almost real time obviously we're going to start seeing this properly in 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 motor i know there's a few, there's a few insurtechs out there that are properly doing this it just does seem crazy that we've been that actually you know that's the first sort of one of the earliest insurtech uh, applications and it just seemed i was surprised to hear that no one's actually done proper live uh, or attempting really really live uh, motor pricing until recently where uh, that that's been happening but is it, it's fair to summarize for both of you that you're still absolutely true sort of digital believers and 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 anyone who's listening to think ah this is a short thing yeah it's it's been okay we've got it's all about building slightly better tools for incumbent insurers uh, to you know just to, to stay being better incumbents and keep uh, competing away uh it that's not the case do you think there's there's still there's a threat, but it's a positive threat. It's something, it's something that something just needs to be means um, to be grasped and then in heart and you know brought to your advantage. You...
2: No, I'm terribly aware of being a stuck record in the sense that I've been banging the same drum for 20 years and not much change. And and you know I kind of am very conscious of that. But um, the biggest thing that changed in Instech London's um, dynamics in 2019 was. Uh, how many big companies sort us out. And uh, in, in our first event this year was MasterCard, sponsored. Our second event is Google. We have um, other big companies on our roster, membership roster now. Um, uh, and while we retain our passion for helping startups, they're all circling our space because they have assets that they want to deploy. And increasingly, they're saying to us, We find it difficult to deploy these assets in this industry because there's too much legacy kit for us to join up with. When we mash our true digital offering with some 1980s policy admin system, we get compromised by that. Uh, So they're seeking out insurance companies and actually increasingly insure techs with true digital models because they know that that's gonna be the best way to deploy, and, and I, I think that's going to be part of an influence and a driving force on what you, these toys will be. Uh, not open to you to use until you have the right model, which makes them fully optimized and usable.
1: I was at uh, that event, uh, the Mastercard event, which is your f- your first event of the year in, in early in January, and I was mightily impressed. I think. It's only when you have someone sitting, you know, in 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 the uh, global specialty and reinsurance space. You have Lloyd's of London. You say, and it sounds impressive when when you know Lloyd's of London said, "Yeah, we've got two or three hundred licenses around the world." You plug in, you can do insurance anywhere. You know, we're the great hub. And then you, you you contrast that with with Mastercard. You know, and you think, God, you know, you're in every country in the world. You have, I can't I can't remember the exact figures. It was it was in the billions of customers and you're thinking and of course and you're regulated in more than 223 different countries or whatever it is uh, which suddenly put everything into context and and I I don't know how many trillions it was that actually move around every every other day but it made it certainly put um, uh, sort of insurance in its in its place, and I was mightily impressed with that. I'm also very much looking forward to this uh, Google event that you're putting on uh, at the end of this month. So,
0: well, thanks, Mark. So, a quick plug for our uh, Mastercard podcast that's coming out, and it's got all the facts and figures in it. But but one of the other themes that was mentioned there by Ian Slater, who's SVP for Enterprises for Mastercard globally, and it's something we're hearing more and more of. Is people look from outside of insurance and actually really like what they see. I think if we spend too long in this market, we all get a little little bit sort of sense that it's not really yeah, not really the best place in the world to be. But. It, it, whether that's people doing startups and again quite a few people like, like eric abrahamson at digital fine print you know, went out could have gone anywhere and did his research and thought you know insurance is a place i can really come in and actually make a difference and so i think part of this is a recognition that there's so much rich source of information that can help people and you know, fundamentally you know we shouldn't forget that insurance is actually to make people's lives better i mean we are there to basically get people back on their feet after uh, a loss has been suffered. So I think you know, part of this element around the whole digitization and digital and where do we go next is is people just being proud of the market they're in and proud of being in Lloyds and, and actually you know, look forward in a much more positive way. It doesn't, doesn't mean the problems aren't still hard to solve, but coming out of it from a much more positive outlook, I think is a sort of small shift that maybe we'll start to see in 2020
1: um you've been talking a lot about um down at down at Intertech, and obviously i 'm a regular uh, I, you can 't keep me away from 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 those events and they 're absolutely incredibly valuable and I would recommend any of our listeners to go along if they're in london uh, uh you know and they 've got got the time um you you were talking about um ecosystems um and that the this will be coming to the fore uh, in insure tech can you can you explain what you mean by ecosystems uh, uh, uh you know in a digital
2: sense uh certainly and, and i think ecosystems um is a sort of uh it started life as a management consulting word in a sort of because become... yeah, it
1: might so you know because it might turn some people off who are listening to this and think but actually know that there's got to be, there's a kind of a really good idea in there, isn't
2: there? Yeah, no, I've tried to find a better word for five years and I've now given up because I think ecosystems is the right word. I, I, I think increasingly what happens is that the, the uh, various uh, worlds in which we live our daily lives can join. So I don't think in the future insurance operates as it does now in a completely and utterly separate world where people just buy insurance and they are prepared to separately transact for insurance I think increasingly um, your uh, utilities providers, your uh, bank, your retail starts to live in worlds where you're very very closely linked and they are already linking up. So, so I see a world in which you're just as likely to be asked by Scottish Power who provide your gas whether you'd like property insurance because they already have a way of a monthly you already have a monthly bill with them they already know enough about you they are much smarter at getting access to third-party data sources. They only have to do a deal with AXA on 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 how they price and how they provide that and, and all of a sudden you know you, it's that's not a it's not a risk that's come in through the traditional channels. And of course,
1: they've got a labour force to come and fix leaks and other things, right?
2: So they've got, you know, they've got those bits already, and they're starting to look at those bits coming together. And they're saying, how how else can I now leverage the fact that I have a, a trusted brand? I have the customer. I understand the customer. I, I know a lot about the customer. You know, I'm not going to just sell them power. I'm going to sell them lots of other things. Insurance looks to me like something that you could add on to those things. The banks returning, you know, in a in a big way to bank assurance. You know, they've had their own issues, but. But there's a lot of money and thought going into how the banks would return, particularly the challenger banks, who see this as a you know as a really big opportunity.
1: So it's all about it's about cross-selling, and of course, yeah. I mean, anyone who's been in the insurance industry for long enough will you know remember the late '80s and the whole of the '90s, but bank bank assurance was absolutely where it was at uh, until suddenly things like Direct Line came along. But that was that was such a massive part of. Uh, 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 of insurance growth uh, uh, in the late 80s and 90s um, so it's all about it's all about these sort of cross-settling opportunities is that, is that still the way you see it as well Matthew?
0: Uh, well i, I mean I, yes I, I, but there's another angle to this that is starting to emerge which if you take a step back from what the role of insurance is and you look at for a corporate particularly you know, what are the real threats that they've got and in the past people have very much bought insurance or companies have bought insurance very much on a product by product kind of basis so they might cover their buildings they might cover their casualty um, they might not insure certain things and self-insure but really if you look at the losses I mean for example uh, Pacific Gas and Electric ended up with a, a close to 11 billion dollar liability from the wildfires almost went bankrupt in the back of it you know when they were looking at their own insurance I bet that wasn't one of the things they considered was that were they going to were they going to go away as a company because of wildfire loss yeah boeing recently so i think in addition to the sort of yeah, it's going two directions in a sense insurance is going down to the more detailed level which is linked into your when you're buying something as a personal consumer but a whole balance sheet protection and the loss that can accrue to a big corporate is something that people are starting to wake up for i think what that's really healthy for that is that it's no longer just a buying decision that sits with a risk manager a few levels down in the organization but the CFO and even the CEO and I are getting much more interested and actually they're being driven that way by regulation from what's required of boards to actually really understand what could potentially actually just take the company out of business altogether
1: So what you're saying is actually that's positive for insurance because insurance is bringing a lot, uh, is able to bring a lot of value to to that sort of party to to be able to um, explain to an industry in one sector all the other potential hazards that they perhaps hadn't thought of, i.e. the hazard of as you as you that example of, you know, wildfire to banking, it's not immediately apparent or perhaps earthquake to banking or or other things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we all we all have this attitude to risk. We we tend to react to what happened most most recently. So you saw it with hurricanes in the US, there weren't any hurricanes of any significance for ten years. People sort of forgot about it. hurricanes to a larger extent. You see it with pandemic interestingly. I mean when we were at RMS we were building pandemic models and that is a real threat as we know, you know, just just now with what we're seeing with with what's going on out of China but actually until there's a real loss people don't really um, do a lot about it and it's a little bit goes back to what, what Robin was talking about with this whole move to having to have a new digital platform the reason that people aren't you know taking the big investments and actually really tough decisions about how you build a new digital platform that's going to disrupt your existing business is because it's not it's, it's not a burning platform you know top five priority for for a business so um, I think the sense of if you can take a step back and actually have an approach to understanding risk which doesn't have to sort of focus entirely on the individual events, but just recognize that you know, bad things do happen and it can be the end of a company or yes out of the end of a person. And then you, you think how do I protect against that, even if I don't know exactly what it's going to be, you get a very different way of looking at the risk.
1: Somebody wants to ask both of you, um um We've got an interesting, uh, is any of this paralysis down to an inability to know which new technology to adopt? Uh, so we've got, we could use an analogy with the cars at the moment. You can see that actually new car sales are down. It's not necessarily just down to economics of world growth slowing. It's actually down to people having no idea what kind of car uh, they're supposed to buy because actually um, public policy seems to change every five minutes and has just changed in the UK uh, you know, it, it, it suddenly you thought you might be able to buy a hybrid, but actually, you know, that in 15 years time, the hybrids are sort of going to be on their way out. So would you buy a hybrid? Uh, um, going back to the incumbent insurance industry, uh, it's part of their problem. Not that they they don't they don't want to adapt and they don't want to digitize, but they just don't know what to adopt. Uh, you know, they don't want to end up with a Betamax when, when VHS is coming. Is there any of that or is that just being I'm being too kind to my industry?
2: Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with being too kind to the industry. Um, I think there is a bit of that. I think that uh, many of the most senior people in big technology, CIO, CTO, COO type jobs have a certain uh, knowledge of the technologies that uh, they've traditionally dealt with over 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they are less, uh, I mean, I do think there's a sort of curiosity problem. They're not inclined to look uh, in parallel universes to engage broadly with the Amazons and the Googles and the Microsoft Azures and the next generation of platforms in a way that I would have thought would be helpful um, is, know, cause, it, cause is, they, it, is
1: it partly a is it and is it really a false problem um uh, a lot of these cloud platforms that you're talking about are um, they're much more interoperable these days than than they were before It's not like a VHS which literally is the different size. Socket, uh, you know, a different size uh, cassette and, uh, than a B eight, than, than a Betamax. Or, uh, people creating problems that they don't really, that, that that don't exist.
2: I mean, there's a there's a slight problem in the sense that no, none of the companies have uh, uh, those companies have, are known for a, a sophisticated knowledge of the insurance domain, and that's a sort of there's a sort of sense in insurance that you that that's a prerequisite. But 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 those. Platforms. Those cloud platforms that Google and Amazon and, and Microsoft provide are now uh, extraordinarily well equipped. They are already every single microservice that they can provide has an API attached to it. They they are, you know, enterprise in every meaning of the word. And and many of the uh, companies that are responsible for big transformation projects have built pretty. Sophisticated tools on the on you know on the back of them. So so I, you know I th- I think they have a role to play. They themselves are a little bit reluctant to enter the space for the reason I talked about earlier, which is um, you know they collide with legacy tech and and they don't get to look that special when when you have the sort of deeply compromised uh, you know stack. They're, they're still after the opportunities that would enable their technology to to, to, to be optimised and
0: generally look like the technology of the future. There's a a comment Jeff Bezos has, which is uh, how he thinks about what he calls irreversible decisions or or different types of decisions. And his view is if there's decisions you can make and if things don't work out, you can change your mind and it's not too expensive. Don't spend too much time thinking about them. But there are certain things in life that are irreversible decisions or just are hugely expensive. And I think this is part of the challenge that companies do have, Mark, to your point. There is more flexibility. There is a lot more interoperability out there. One of the big challenges that CEOs have across all industries, not just insurance, is they don't really understand... And this is not a criticism it's just a fact of life you know what their cios and ctos are telling them so they don't necessarily know what the right decision is is to make and they can therefore they're very scared of getting you know, going down that route of an irreversible decision and making the wrong choice the other part though that we don't really talk about but i think is incredibly important is this whole factor of usability and if you know, we can learn a lot from what we're seeing with the those consumer products we use, if you look at the various apps or Netflix or Amazon, yeah, they're highly usable. They spend a lot of time and money configuring them so people can use them. And we don't really have that luxury in commercial technology. Things have to get out there. And the reality is, a lot of the barrier to change comes down because people are given some new technology and you know, their initial reaction is, it's too hard to use, it doesn't allow me what I'm going to do, it's not flexible. And so it takes actually quite a long time to actually get those embedded. And so I think part of what we need to see going forward, and it comes back a little bit to you know, you know, Robin's point again about how does this change get made? If you can get people who are using the technology to really love using it and actually know this is designed for them, and find companies that can engage with the users, then you then you can make the change. But it's you know, you have another level of complexity to something if it's not.
1: Well, I think for me, it's a good time to talk, start talking about uh, an ecosystem. For one, would you you know we've been talking about digital ecosystems. Um, you know within insurance we talk about the london ecosystem do you think that's a fair is it a fair comparison to say that uh, you know that we have a commonality of interest in the london market it's it's a different another type of ecosystem is it
2: oh look it's an absolutely perfect example of an ecosystem um i think it has its uh unique challenges right now to your point about what's what is holding back these sort of decision making, um, you know, at the highest level? And once you got the, you know, once John Neal and his um, new leadership published the blueprint, uh, which I thought was brave and, and admired, and I like, um, he 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 he, they have unwittingly, of course, caused some paralysis in the sense that now everybody is waiting to see what the next iteration of that will be. What technology will be built, be, be built on the back end? You know, my personal interest is in is in what the simple risk and the complex risk exchanges will look like. But until uh, Lloyds has uh, defined what those will be, put in place management teams to run them, determine what budgets are, determine which uh, suppliers they want to work with, everyone will sit around going, I, I'm not going to build one of these myself, I'm not going to make a big decision on my next generation of technology because I need to know what that looks like before I make those decisions that's an entirely it's not answering your question but that that is that means that the ecosystem at Lloyds it will for 2020 be pretty much paralyzed in, in I think in, in terms of making those those big decisions
1: I suppose going back to you know the the um, uh when you think of ecosystems of course you know when we we're talking about um, you know biological botanical ecosystems you're actually talking about darwinistic ones you know um ones that in which you know different uh, species and different uh, ways of doing things uh, thrive or die out um but here we're looking like something that's going to be a top-down mandation you know making something compulsory saying you will we will choose vhs rather than Betamax, and and uh, do you think that 's a problem uh, or because we've had um we, we, i suppose we 've had a cycle of this kind of thing over the years but y- y- people who like well uh, all the three of us in this room who who are, have been around long enough to see it of let 's mandate something, say something like connect at lloyd 's and then uh, that failed you come in richard Ward said let 's be more darwinistic let 's just go peer to peer let 's just sort of you know let um, let evolution take its course, and some things will come and something will go but then something will emerge as the dominant species of the way of doing electronic placing uh, in the london market um which way do you do you jump on this do you, do you think you know the, the the people with this blueprint are just going to have to mandate stuff
2: i think john Neal's uh seen for himself the previous 10 years uh you know He's heard a lot of people complain about the usability of the PPL and, and, and has decided that's not it. Um, he's seen for himself what market, how difficult it is to get market consensus, how difficult it is to run top quality procurement across, you know, as a, as a, as a market rather than an individual. And he's uh, uh, gone full circle back to effectively the connect days and said so the only way we're really going to build the technology in the future is to get a smart group of people together, I, I guess, uh, get the Amazons and the Googles and the Microsofts in the room and say, you know, we're building the next one. And he's raised a lot of money to enable him to have... Uh, the ability to take a five to ten year view of those things and, and get something out there. Look, whether or not it gets adopted thereafter, uh, you know, that's, that's another thing. Uh, you know, mandating it is one thing, but if you're a disruptor like me, whatever someone tells you to do, you normally do the opposite. Um, so that problem remains out there. But, but I think he's doing the right thing. You have to be brave... Uh, I think we've danced around this discussion, uh, uh, you know, in this, in, in this issue in this discussion. At some point, somebody just has to be really, really brave and go, "This is what we need," and I've got the balls to go out and build it and pay for it.
1: And it's brave because it, you have to be right. It, it, it's all very well being God and decreeing that the Andertals should inherit the earth when it turns out it was Homo sapiens after all, and you got it wrong.
0: Well, I mean, you know, another analogy is is the HS2, or, or for those from overseas, the high-speed train, and there's a big debate just now about this the fast train going from London up to up the north, which is you know, now getting close to £100 billion of cost, three times the overrun. Yeah, it's a much larger version of the same problem, which is either you've got the vision about something that is going to you know, come into play 20 years' time, and you just have to go for it and recognise it's going to be expensive and it's not going to pay off for a while, or you don't and you try and find a commercial solution and I think as Robin says that, you know, the real challenge within within Lloyd's which we sort of keep coming back to is the the, the short term commercial benefit doesn't work for somebody coming in on a pure commercial place so if you, if you sort of said right okay let's go down the kind of Darwin or let commercial forces drive this you're going to have a version of what you've already got because there's not enough drive to make the change in the time that's needed so I think it is one of these situations and, and, and they are really tough because everybody's got reasons why they want them to fail they don't like the money being spent there is a bit of risk By the time it's failed, the person's probably left. Um, But I I think that is a choice the market has in front of it. I think we're all saying, you've got to be a brave CEO and say, do it, and I'm going to back it, and we're going to push through.
2: I I can't draw any symbolism from this, but um, I'm one of those people who's had their DNA done. And and just for the record, I've got 0.3% Neanderthal in my DNA. 97.7% is homo sapiens, but we all probably have a little bit of Neanderthal in there somewhere lurking in our DNA
1: so um in terms of uh, london market reform you're not um uh y- you're you're broadly positive and and some people would the, some of the criticism i've heard of it is that it's not ambitious enough uh is it ambitious enough for you guys I mean, so, there's so many strands to it uh, uh, it's ambitious enough for me uh
2: it's ambitious enough for me um uh, you know I, I i'm often sort of labeled a the gloomster in all of this but the you know, truth is i'm not i mean i i admire john Neal for what he's doing i don't think that right now there's any other way uh and my frustration is about uh, the opportunities that lie out there all these new risks all this uh all these changes in the way that we're going to provide these services which we're not going to be able to do unless we bite the bullet and and i'm not you know i'm not one of these who goes uh, insurance is dead, you know, London's going to get its comeuppance. It's actually about, unless we make these changes, we will not have as broad a horizon of opportunity as we would do if we were able to make these changes. I, I, you know, I'm a, I, I wouldn't be doing this after 20 years if I wasn't a relentless optimist uh, and, and, I, and I couldn't see uh, blue sky ahead. But, but it's, to me, it's a frustration of thinking of all the wonderful things we could do if we got it right.
0: Well, Mark, just to answer your question in a slightly different way, I mean, I've always been a great fan of the London market. I mean, when the days when we had a single owner of a telephone system in the UK under British Telecom, Hull had its own independent. Um, telephone network and the reason for that is where British Telecom used to try out all of its new technology and and innovations and things without risking the whole network. Uh, In our days at RMS we used to see London as a wonderful place to try out new models and tools and analytics because just there's so much variety in here, so much going on, very quick decision making, you're very entrepreneurial and the theme behind this is how do you allow a marketplace to have the right technology, digital enablement and at the same time, protect the capital base, but also allow the entrepreneurs to flourish, and don't either hamstring them through you know, too much regulation or too much cost. And and so, ultimately, you know, the market has to fulfil its role in supporting the people that it relies upon to trade on. And one of those things is giving it a, a robust platform to, to trade with, but 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 not charging people disproportionately and not giving them control.
1: What about this? This I like your hull analogy. Um, do do you think we could have a, a the equivalent of a hull? Uh, you know, in 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 the London market network, to, to say we've got a kind of sandpit uh, where we can go and play and not, uh, uh, you know, jeopardise the whole network.
0: Well, it does seem to be a theme to send off uh, London-based large organisations to different parts of the northern part of Britain. So maybe we could hive off some of Lloyd's to somewhere up up north.
2: I think it's going to happen naturally, isn't it? I mean, if I was John Neal and I was running the say the Complex Risk Exchange, the first thing I would do is uh get a couple of people to run POCs in the you know, equivalent of a of a hull. Hull as a place rather than a class of business. Um and and um, you know, see how it went and 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 naturally the the one that performed best and the one that looked like it had the answers would become adopted over time. I, I I see, um, I mean, POCs with startups are starting to completely disappear, but, but a POC with an Amazon or a Google or a Microsoft is another thing altogether. And, and, and you know, they're very, very keen to enter the space and prepare to put plenty of skin in the game. And I, I still think that they have much to offer us.
1: And just to sort of decode that um, perhaps techie jargon, POC, is a proof of concept. So it's, it's trying something out with somebody, with a partner.
0: Yeah, and... and- just picking up on what Robin said there and actually using Hull in its other version, which is actually literally the insurance of Hull, it's important the market allows a, a multi-track process on this. So if you look for a company like Cirrus, for example, which is successfully tackling some of the challenges of underwriting in marine, which writes Hull, and traditionally has been one of the most old-fashioned ways of writing business, you know they have successfully managed to persuade marine underwriters to bring in new technology, and partly because they're leapfrogging uh, you know, from when people are just doing things in a very old-fashioned way to doing something quite new and so as part of that you- I think the trick when you build these sort of big centralized systems is all the time keeping an eye out on what's happening around you, because at some point you might have to say, actually, you know what? Someone else has built some bit of better technology here. Uh, and the fact that we've got more interoperability now, we've got things like APIs, we've got you know another part of the whole ecosystem—one we didn't talk about—but is the people that are building platforms that technology can run off, and you're not limited to a single platform—is um, another angle to this, which is Robin says, you know, if you allow—or Mark, to your point about hold the place if you allow certain areas to flourish and don't again constrain them too much or force them to sort of use the main system particularly in the areas where you've got new risk I think that's again it's quite hard to find the next best version of a property exposure analytics that allows you to underwrite property better for lots of reasons but if you are the person that figures out how to understand supply chain and can find a way to give underwriters tools to write supply chain, then please do let those, you know, let those organizations flourish and create a whole new revenue stream coming into the market. And don't you know don't constrain it by the main system that, that yeah you know, is going to change the, the sort of the, the core business because that would be a disaster.
1: Well I think we should talk about InStech um and some of the insurtechs Um uh, I really want to talk about that event that you did with, with MasterCard. Um, what did you take away from that? Um, you're about to put out something. Uh, I, I just thought it was fascinating. It was a fascinating evening. It was, a very, it was slightly surreal um, to see so many people come out on a sort of rainy Monday evening, and it was cold and dark, um, to, to hear about in payments and uh, uh, the, the technology behind payments and, and how it might interact with insurance. But it was a full house. It was, you know, it was 250 people. Uh, what did you take away from that? I thought it was absolutely it, – it was awesome.
2: Matthew and I had a little debate about this. Uh, He was was a bit stiffy about it when we first did it. He'll he'll want to come and talk about payments. Um, And with about a week to go, I was a little bit worried too because we hadn't got a full house. Um, And then then suddenly it was full. Uh, I've made this point before. uh, um, Insurance is two things. We don't have a physical product. We don't have to build a car before we sell it. We exchange data and we exchange money. I mean, those are the absolute, you know, raw materials of insurance. Uh, And and I think a lot has been talked about data these last 10 years and big data and external sources of data, but very little has been talked about money. And we we are, we exchange it day in, day out. My second takeaway is, uh, and I think you've made this uh, point eloquently before, when companies like MasterCard enter the space and say, we uh, have connections to every bank we want to help you move your money better, we have vast amounts of money that we can deploy to R&D we are very strongly focused on uh, making the world a better place, sustainability microservices, uh, inclusion uh, we would like to work with you, then somebody should bite their arm off and go and work with them, because they they, and people like them can make a vast difference, and I'm, I'm a remainer startup supporter and I'm going to do everything I can to help fellow startups because i have a certain empathy with them but but the biggest difference in the next 10 years will be made by decisive interventions from companies like mastercard
1: yes i think from my own perspective you know, uh, studying the industry for, and writing about it for so long you know i thought goodness me actually if um, when i was sitting at your event you know a few weeks ago thinking you know we've had the rush initiative and you're talking about net settlement of just a few just a few hundred billion here and there and but I thought, well, actually, if we'd had MasterCard in the room when they set up the Rush economy initiative, we might have solved it by now. But uh, uh, that, that's what, that was my takeaway.
0: You know, we try to design this so people turn up and know they're going to get a benefit, not just by who they're seeing on the stage, but also just all the people they're going to meet on the day. We've had a lot of people, you know, yourself included, who've, who've met some... Partners, uh, business partners mostly, and maybe some romantic ones there too. Uh, they found capacity in there. They found clients. They found employees. There's a the whole thing that goes on in and around about what we put on stage works. And also we're delighted that, and, and, and much to Robin's surprise, given some of what he was told by his teachers, that the CII have now given us credits or given people turning out credits for their continual professional development. And, and part of that is they quite like the way we sort of balance the education with some of the humour on there. So I think the trick with any, anything, and, and as you well know from your days as a journalist, and getting people to engage in content, is you've got to make it interesting, you've got to make it kind of fun, but you've got to get the facts and you've got to get the good people together to bring all of those into your readers or your listeners or your viewers
1: i like the fact that i can have a glass of wine while i'm there as well i mean you know that, that's pretty good and tell us about this uh, google event because you know it, it's it's been the elephant in the room and and i suppose it was the sort of great bogeyman of the early days of InsureTech and and you could sort of i suppose in the first couple of years of putting on InsureTech events you could just sort of someone would an executive would get up and say Look, guys, if we don't sort ourselves out, you know, Google, Amazon, you know, they're all going to come and kill us and and and, and destroy our industry, and, and we'll all be out on the street. Um, that gave way to a certain uh, maturity, uh, should we say now? But that's why I'm fascinated to see, you know, what Google are up to, and do you have any kind of um? You've got any kind of previews of what what we might be talking about?
2: Gracious, no. You have to come to the event. Uh, it's it's a bit like, but I I will sh- uh, share this much. I think that Google as insurer, Amazon as insurer, you know, is hugely overdone. I can't think for a minute why they would want to enter uh, the regulated space. Uh, what they want to do is uh, deploy to the insurance industry an extraordinary uh, ability to uh, analyse data, you know, leverage their cloud technology, bring... Google Earth, bring Waze, bring all those toolkits, uh, you know, to, to what we to what we do, um, and they too have, uh, you know, considerable um, interest in improving the way healthcare. Um, you know, they, they, they too are quite um, conscientious in the in the way they want to deploy these things. Um, you know, what fascinates me is, and I take this as a great uh, compliment that they will spend money with us because they think they're going to get access to the the people that they need in order to um, uh, you know, deploy that toolkit. I mean, they they are very much part of what got me to this it's digital, it's not digitise, because they say we find it hard to work with uh, digitise and we want to work with digital. Instech London, will you help us find the true digital models out there. Uh, and that plays right to everything that And you know, I'm, I'm I'm, trying to, to sort of drive through 2020 as part of our agenda.
0: Yeah, and, and part of this as well is, is Google Cloud who are supporting the next event. Uh, yeah, and what they're really interested in is finding organizations to work with on the cloud. I mean, if you take AWS, for example, I haven't got the figures for Amazon, but AWS, uh, or Amazon Cloud Services, only 13% of the revenue comes from the cloud versus all the other things they're doing, but actually represents 50, over 50% of their earnings. So it's a highly profitable business for them, and, and, and AWS are the dominant player in this space. So yeah, Google is seeing this very much as them being one of the platforms. Again, back to our conversation about ecosystems, one of the platforms out there. You know, they can bring in as well all the other things we know Google for, but yeah, for them, there's so much to play with in this marketplace. And again, back to what we said earlier on, they love what they're seeing in insurance for lots of different reasons
1: one of the other things I really love about going to Instec events is, you know, that there's there is an overriding theme, but there's a whole load of other eclectic stuff going on. You have shout-outs for people who just have an open mic at the end of the uh, of the show and just tell you what they're doing and say meet me at the bar later. Uh and um but there're also there're always one or two things that don't necessarily fit in with the overriding theme, just the things that you've been collecting. Because of your position uh, as a sort of you know guardian to so the technology world, for some of us sort of died in the world of insurance types, and you're the great sort of communicators between the two worlds. Um, what are the some of the you know so one of the so the things I'm jealous of of, of you is you go and you get to meet a lot of these startup companies uh, when they're really really early stage, and then often. Uh, it's when they put them on. You put them on a stage. is the first time someone like me will get to hear about them, and I get to meet them, and it's great. So I, that's one of the reasons why I love coming along. Um, so, what are the things? What are what are some of the businesses that have been most ex, you've been most excited about? I, I'll kick off because I went to the, your your last event. I really really liked um, a business called Exante that was talking about. Um, Providing insurance, an insurance product, a parametric insurance product that pays out before a loss happens, and this is this was specifically on catastrophe, weather-related events, and it was for really small limits, and it was it was focusing on the social problem of uh, perhaps lower-paid workers in you know in Florida, perhaps you're working in a Starbucks, someone who's in and out of employment, maybe in the gig economy or whatever, uh, who for for whom um, actually boarding up your house and leaving your job and having to, you know, get in your car and drive to somewhere and probably go and stay in a motel, which has probably jacked up its prices, is actually a very expensive and actually life disrupting thing to do because they haven't really got any savings and they're moving from living from one paycheck to the next. It struck me as a fantastically interesting uh, uh, product and this would be something that would pay out two or four or five hundred dollars to someone like that. Um but three or four days ahead of a cat three or four landfall uh in the town where you know being being actually just predicted in the town where they're where they where they're living for me it seemed like a, a fantastic um social good and a really really good uh, potentially interesting product opening up brand new you know it's covering protection gap but it's totally new income for the industry so what other things have been catching your eye um you know i'll, I'll put you on the spot now because you know you've got this great privileged position looking sort of a bit into the future
0: yeah, well, I mean, that is just a great example where Chris Lee from Xante contacted us and said, oh, you know, I had an introduction and can I chat to you about my business? And next thing he knew, he was up on stage. And it's very much part of the theme that we try to maintain within Stack, which is, yes, we can, love having MasterCard and Google, but we've still got a role for people that are very early stage. We allow people to come along for free um, if, if there's only been going two years. I guess, you know, one of, the, one of the organizations I like out there, just talking back a little bit about platforms and exchanges, you know, I'm really interested in what the team at a risk book are doing so ben rose and jared lee yeah, both of them come out of a uh, broken background they they were sort of fairly early in their career, very smart. It's a very challenging space to get into building platforms for exchanging uh, risks between insurers and reinsurers and brokers. But what I like about them is they've got really high energy. They've built a strong tech team. And and they're quite modest at the same time. So they're not trying to solve the world. They're they're doing it one step at a time, but they've got great vision. And they've also managed to get a beta test out there very early. So they're crowdsourcing input very quickly. It's a lot about this theme we're hearing about agility yeah, you know, fast fail, test and learn. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely worth keeping a look out for for those two. Those my kind of, so one of my risk, picks. Book. risk Risk book. Book.
1: I'll put I'll put um, links to all of these in, in the notes at the end.
0: Um,
2: I, I'm going to sort of macro level slightly. I think that um, life and health will be the focus for 2020. I think it's come late to the party. I think that cost of healthcare, healthcare provision, um, the undynamic nature of uh, life insurance provision are all under the spotlight. I, I think that uh, if you look at the way investors are thinking right now, uh, I think that they see deploying their money there uh, at least for 2020 while London and, and, and you know in, in our sort of focus with the big commercial specialty markets is a little bit uh, up in the air. I think that they see that space. Uh, um, and from top to bottom, people want to put their money now into um, things which have an environmental benefit which play to inclusion, sustainability, climate change uh, and that will feed all the way through now to to uh, how easy it is to get your money and, and the focus of insurance companies on the back of it. A, a lot of... I think we'll see a lot more Zantes um, of this world come up uh, in the next 12 months because that's what people want to invest in. Those are, there's a massive need for... Uh, what they provide and I think they'll get big support from the investment and insurance community if they come up with the right propositions.
1: I suppose a business like Exante, you know, this is forward-looking stuff and it's all data-driven. It just can't work with one of these, you know, with with a legacy stack of technology, uh, can it? It just can't Keep
2: going back there but, you know, Parametric is huge. I I love Parametric. Uh, I I, I love, we know what Blink are doing. Uh, you know, they have a, a, a big story there. That that would that extends... I mean, you know, it has to start in in relatively commoditizable classes, but bit by bit by bit, um, parametric uh, payment of claims will become a, a, a bigger and bigger aspect.
1: Just explain to some of the listeners what Blink is, um, if they don't know. Blink
2: is a, tr- is a travel uh, cancellation uh, platform. I mean, they, they've moved from a B2C play to a B2B play, so insurance companies... Uh, uh, take it; it it completely and totally automize, automates the what you need to do when a flight is cancelled. So it simply books you on another flight, or pays out your money, or if you've got a f- delay, you can perhaps opt for a voucher to the airport lounge and take a bit of money to buy yourself a beer. But it, it's run by the technology. There's no there's no it's completely one hundred percent automated. And and bit by bit, back to my ecosystem play, uh, you know, I don't see why that doesn't get taken by skyscanner at source or by Experian at source or, or whatever it happens to it be. Expedia at source, you know those things get baked into an ecosystem so that you get flight cancellation without even knowing you're getting flight cancellation. If you sort of mean. Uh, um, so, so look, I we I love Parametric, and I think we'll have a separate event on Parametric because I think it's one of the big big areas for um, claims as a whole gets under uh, underexposed in all of this, uh, and I think that that's one of the ways which there could be a big leap forward in the way we deal with claims. That's
1: no, really interesting, and, and um, yeah, um, there's a lot to talk about there because obviously things like um, you know you could. Parametrically, you know, you need to be—you um, don't want to have basis risk and lump that onto a consumer, for example. I suppose, and so there's tons of stuff. The, the kind of ethics and the regulatory side of it is going to be really interesting when that when it starts really kicking off. Um, but otherwise, I've come to the end of the sort of uh, list of questions that I had, and I wondered if you wanted to chip in anything that you thought uh, that we should have discussed that we haven't discussed yet.
0: Uh, well. Mark, you know, I've been inspired, inspired by your years of a journalist at Insurance Insider, and uh, therefore we, we put out a weekly newsletter, which uh, we try to make sure we're not just repackaging other people's news, but as I say, it's, it's handmade from the freshest, freshest ingredients. Uh, we try to give our view on what's going on, so just for any of your listeners that haven't seen that, uh, they might find it useful not just to find out what we're thinking about what's going on in the world. Uh, but also just about our events and also other people's events and she also was interested in who's providing funding from competitions or or the government or things like that so it comes out once a week logins on Uh, www.instec.london
2: from my point of view thank you for giving us a chance to talk to your audience I you know, when InsureTech started off, it was slightly um, you know, in the closet. It was a sort of parallel universe. You, you didn't dare admit that you were going to start up pitches. Um, but, but bit by bit by bit, we're going mainstream. And, and uh, any way uh, which you can help and which I'm sure you will in, in getting us to being more... Uh, oh, um, known to the establishment and, and to, the, to the people whom we, can, we would like to really get access and influence Then, then um, and I think this has given us an opportunity we thank you greatly for that
1: Well more power to both of you um, you've, you've converted me along the way so thank you so much and um, um, we'll be in touch soon Voice of Insurance is produced by me Mark Gagan Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.